Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. What's going on in Revelation chapter 9? Is the fifth and sixth trumpets talking about monsters, aliens, a military invasion, or demons? Well, let's talk about that and more coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles, and I'm with Church Discipleship Ministries. I want to welcome you to my discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible. I tell you, we are in the thick of it, right in the middle of learning about the seven trumpets, the judgments of God that start off the day of the Lord. And I want to tell you, in Revelation 9, we come up with a weird passage. In my humble opinion, this is probably one of the most difficult passages of the book of Revelation to interpret. In fact, it may be the most difficult. But I do believe that if we stick to the context, God has given us enough clues here to come close to understanding what he's trying to say. Now, granted, we'll see more and more uh, little questions about how to interpret certain passages as we go on. Remember, things are still veiled. It was easy to understand what was going on with the seven churches because that's 2,000 years of history that we can look back on. And we're getting real close, I think, to the time that the seals are cracking open. So the veil is lifted up enough on that that we can kind of get a good feel with how to interpret that. But this is kind of distant enough in the future that we may not understand it totally. Plus, it is such a harsh judgment. God may be just keeping a veil on it a little bit longer so that people don't try and manipulate things to escape this judgment. And we've talked about that before, how God veils things. But we're going to uh, look at it, and we're going to look at it from a standpoint of literal and metaphorical. You know, we have to do that with Revelation. Is everything in here a metaphor, or can you take it more literally? Well, I think the best way to examine it is what we call a literal viewpoint. In other words, John literally saw these things exactly as he described them. He's not trying to use a code or anything like that. So if we look at it from that standpoint and then keep context, because context is key, and we keep the context in mind, I think we'll understand some of the clues that God has uh, allowed to be unveiled in this chapter to give us a good indication of what's going on. Well, I tell you what, I'm excited to dive in, so let's do it. Revelation chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen to the earth from the sky. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace, and the sunlight and air were darkened by the smoke. Then locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. 
they were told not to hurt the grass or plants or trees, but to attack all the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with agony like the pain of scorpion stings. In those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee away. The locusts looked like horses armed for battle. They had gold crowns on their heads. They had human faces. Their hair was long like the hair of a woman, and their teeth were like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron, and their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions with the power to torture people. This power was given to them for five months. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, the destroyer. The first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. So this is the fifth trumpet, and also it's known as the first terror, just like the eagle told us at the end of Revelation chapter 8, and we talked about that last session. So this fifth trumpet, or the first terror, starts off with a star that has fallen. The fifth angel blows his trumpet, and then he saw a, uh, John saw a star that had fallen to earth. Now, what is this star? Well, I think the star is probably a fallen angel, and most probably Satan. Where am I getting this from? Well, if you look at uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, and Revelation 2, verse 1, You'll see something mentioned about stars before, and we talked about this when we were doing the introduction to the seven churches of Asia. Listen to what uh, John writes about seeing this vision of Jesus. At this point in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, Jesus is commanding John to write these things down. And he says this, This is the meaning of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Then in the next verse, Revelation 2, verse 1, it says this, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. And it's like that for the other churches. Now, we talked about this before. I think this phrase, the angel, could be, uh, both a real angel and the elder or pastor of that church, which was getting that particular letter. And the reason I say that is, and we, remember, we talked about the spiritual war and how there's demons and angels uh, fighting against each other. And this is revealed in the book of Daniel. So it could very easily be a angel, but also representing in a metaphor-type sense, the pastor, because he has to read that letter to the churches. So I think the same thing is happening here, that this is an angel. But there's another place in Revelation that lets me believe that. Revelation 12, verse 4, says this. His tail is talking about the uh, red dragon, and we're going to show you later, but this is Satan. His tail dragged down one-third of the stars. 
which he threw to the earth. Now we know that when Satan fell, when he rebelled against God, he took a lot of angels with him. There was a war up in heaven. And the book of Revelation is saying it's around a third of the angels. So when it used the word stars there, I think it's talking about angels. Likewise here. So I think this is an angel. And another reason, it says a star that had fallen to the earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft. Now, that's interesting that it's using a pronoun. It actually used a Greek word, a pronoun, that can mean either it or he or whatever, but it's a personal pronoun. Whereas if you look at it in some other places, it doesn't use that pronoun. For instance, last time we looked at uh, Wormwood, the asteroid that falls. Look at Revelation chapter 8, verse 10. Then the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great flaming star fell out of the sky, burning like a torch. Now, that your English Bible may use the word it, a personal pronoun, but in the Greek, it just says a it fell out of the sky, burning like a torch upon the third of the rivers and the springs of water. It doesn't ever substitute a personal pronoun for that particular star that it's talking about. So that's what leads us to believe that this is a real asteroid in Revelation chapter 8, verse 10, but in Revelation 9, verse 1, it's really an angel. And that's why most Bibles have done a great job translating it and using the right personal pronouns. It uses the English pronoun it for the star that falls and that, that poisons all the water. We call that wormwood. And it uses the personal pronoun he for the angel that falls down in Revelation 9, verse 1. So I think that NLT here did an excellent job catching this in the Greek and translating it properly. And so that pronoun that's there leads me to believe that this is an angel that has fallen. And since it's talking about opening up a pit and some things coming out, and I'll tell you what those things are like in a little bit. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I think this... Uh, indicates that it was probably an angel of a lot of authority. So I'm thinking Satan. Plus, we know in the Old Testament that Satan in Isaiah and Ezekiel is referred to as a star. In one account, as a day star, because he was a, such a powerful angel before he rebelled against God. So that's why I think this is an angel, a fallen angel, and more than likely, Satan. It might just be a regular angel, but I'm thinking with other passages in the scripture in the context, this is probably Satan being portrayed here. But anyway, whatever angel this is, this angelic being opens up the bottomless pit. Now, what is this? You know, we've explored all over the world. and We have yet to find a bottomless pit. So, Let's think of it in the context. John sees a angel that has fallen. Okay, he's seeing a spiritual vision. 
typically people don't see angels. They're in the spiritual world. We don't typically see them in the physical world. There's been a few accounts when they appeared like Mary and Joseph proclaiming that she was going to have the Messiah as a child. But for the most part, it's very rare in the Bible for people to see angels. There are a few occasions, but it's rare. So I think he's seeing a spiritual vision, like we said, and I think it's talking about a spiritual being. And therefore, I think this bottomless pit is some type of prison in the spiritual dimension. I don't know why uh, they have this bottomless pit in the spiritual dimension. The Bible doesn't say. But somewhere in the spiritual world, there's this pit and it's locked. And that to me speaks of a prison. So it's this bottomless pit, this prison, and it's locked. And this angel fall has fallen down. An angel who has already fallen down in the past, I should say, is coming to unlock it. Now, what comes out of this pit? Well, these locusts. And remember how it was described. It, uh, they looked like horses ready for battle. In other words, they were all in line and, and moving properly. I don't think that refers to their size. They had gold crowns on their heads. They had human faces. Their hair was long like the hair of a woman, and their teeth were like that of a lion. So locusts with human face, long hair, like a woman, and lion teeth. And again, it says they look like horses marching out, armed for battle. Uh, what are these? Now, there's two basic viewpoints you can have. And I'll be honest with you. A long time ago, back in the early 70s, um, some things were starting to hit the headlines that science and the medical community was experimenting with, namely DNA modification. And back when this was going on in the late 60s, early 70s, and it was first coming out, people were hearing about it. My dad, and he, he's passed on, he's up in heaven now, he's with the Lord. My dad said he thinks this will end up being something that's being portrayed in the book of Revelation. He was referring to Revelation 9. So that's one theory. And I used to think of that when my dad would bring that up. And I'd, I'd kind of think, I don't know, you know. I'd go back and forth on that, to be honest with you. It sounded plausible, uh, but then I'd say, I don't know. But as the years have gone by, it's become more and more plausible. There is something called CRISPR technology. And CRISPR technology is a very simple, easy to use uh, tool for editing genes or genomes. And this allows easy modification and changes to a person's DNA. And they're actually selling these kits online. And I've looked up at some of these places where you can buy these CRISPR kits, and there doesn't seem to be any kind of regulation, any kind of license you have to show them to have. And so by all accounts, it looks like if you could afford it, you could just order one of these kits and within a few days do what they say and use your other equipment you buy and, and change your genetic structure the way you want and it starts changing your DNA. And, and that's the interesting thing about this CRISPR technology. You can 
once you change and edit the DNA, you can put it back in the host and it will actually change that host, that animal that they're experimenting on. So it could be something that's genetically modified. That is definitely a valid theory now. I didn't think so back in the 70s so much when my dear old dad was talking about it. But now it does seem to be a very valid theory. And if you think that's what it is, more power to you. You may be onto something. But personally, I don't think that's what this is. And the reason I don't think it's talking about genetically modified monsters, I think the context shows something different. Let's look at the context. It's a spiritual being, an angel coming down. It unleashes something out of a spiritual prison, a prison that's in the spiritual dimension in the spiritual world. So you have a spiritual being unlocking a spiritual prison. What's likely to come out? Spiritual prisoners. What is the other angels called? What are they called? The angels that fell with Satan. We call them demons, don't we? And you remember when Jesus uh, cast out all the lead, the legion of demons. They, they call themselves legion. But all the demons from the uh, uh, man that was living in the graveyard. You know, he had uh, all those demons possessing him. And Jesus uh, cast them out. And this is in Mark chapter 5. And the demons said, please don't send us to the abyss. Please don't send us into this nothingness. Let us go into those pigs. So I think they may have been referencing this spiritual prison, what John is referring to as a bottomless pit. And I think demons, like we read about in other places in Scripture, have been imprisoned because of their rebellion against God and other awful things they've done here in humanity that we're not going to get into right now. So I think, based on the context, that these are demons. Now, if you want to believe the genetic monster theory, like I say, more power to you. But I think based on the context, a spiritual being, an angel comes down, unlocks a spiritual prison known as the bottomless pit, and I think spiritual beings come out. And John is seeing them in this horrific manner to show that they are demons. Demonic entities are being released from the spiritual prison. And note a key phrase here, which is why I believe this. In chapter 9, verse 4, it says, These creatures that are released, uh, that John calls locusts, they were told not to hurt the grass or plants or trees. Now, all locusts eat vegetation. So these aren't normal locusts, are they? They just look at it, just look like it. But then it goes on, it says, but to attack all the people who did not have the seal of God on their forehands, on their foreheads, I should say. So in other words, they can't harm the vegetation, and they can't harm anybody that has God's seal on them. In other words, a believer. They can only go after those who do not have the seal of God upon them. In other words, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They are unbelievers. 
And we all know that a Christian, a true Christian, cannot be possessed by a demon because the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. As soon as you get saved and, and become a believer, the Holy Spirit lives within you, and that's where you get your spiritual power to serve God. So a demon cannot possess a believer, only unbelievers. And yet here they are, they're being commanded to only go after the unbelievers. So I think we have seen an angel, most probably Satan, but it's in, it could be any angel, but I think it's Satan. And he has unleashed all these demons to start coming after mankind, to start possessing them. I think that's what the fifth seal is talking about, an unleashing of a spiritual entity called a demon, a fallen angel that's been corrupted because of the rebellion against God and are coming out to wreak havoc on the unsaved. So that's the fifth trumpet. Now let's look at the sixth trumpet, which is also known as the second terror. The sixth trumpet or the second terror. And we're going to pick up reading in Revelation 9, verse 13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice spoke to the sixth angel who held the trumpet. Release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. And the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one-third of all the people on earth. They led an army of 200 million mounted troops. I heard an announcement of how many there were. And in my vision, I saw the horses and the riders sitting on them. The riders wore armor that was fiery red and sky blue and yellow. The horses' heads were like the heads of lions, and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from their mouths. One-third of all the people on earth were killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and burning sulfur that came from the mouths of the horses. Their power was in their mouths, but also in their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes with the power to injure people. So in this sixth trumpet, we're seeing some similar imagery that the fifth trumpet had. First of all, notice that it says four angels that were bound were released. Again, why would an angel who was obedient to God be bound or imprisoned? So I think these also are fallen angels, demons, overlords of other demons that are released and allowed to do certain things. Now, the four angels, if you notice, command 200 million troops. And they are commanded, these troops are commanded to kill a third of the world's population by fire, smoke, and burning sulfur. Now, a lot of Bibles translations use the word plague here. The three plagues of fire, smoke, and burning sulfur. And that leads a lot of people to think, well, maybe... Uh, this is talking about something other than fire, smoke, and burning sulfur. Well, 
Interesting enough, that's really not the best translation in the Greek for this particular word. This word, plage, is where we get the word plague at times. But most often, in fact, throughout the New Testament, except in the book of, a few times in the book of Revelation, it's best translated and is typically translated as a wound or stripes. So I don't think it's talking about the traditional pestilences, what we in modern days call plagues, kind of like the COVID-19 and bubonic plague, things like that. I don't think it's talking about traditional uh, diseases that we call plagues. And I think it's literally meaning fire, smoke, and burning sulfur. And these are injuries or blows put upon humanity in three forms. They're getting hit with fire, getting hit with smoke, and getting hit with burning sulfur. And we'll come back to these three punches or these three wounds that are going on later on. Now let's talk about these 200 million troops. That number, 200 million, thanks to Hal Lindsey back in the 70s, convinced many, many, many people to confuse this army with the Chinese army or the kings of the east. Now, the kings of the east are mentioned in Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. But again, I don't think this is the, uh, the Chinese army. I don't think this reference to 200 million has anything to do with the human army. Again, look at what we're seeing. We're seeing people, they seem to be normal. There's nothing described irregular about them. But the horses or the beasts that they're riding, they have some weird things going on. They have heads like lions. Fire, smoke, and burning sulfur come out of the mouths of these beasts. And their tails are like snakes. In other words, they bite people. They hurt people with their tails. And so they have power coming out of their mouth, but also out of their tail. They can inflict pain through their tails. Now, if you look at it, this gives us again those same two options for a viewpoint, doesn't it? Number one, could this be a human army riding on genetically modified horses using that CRISPR technology again? I don't think so. Again, the context gives me the feeling that this is talking about a spiritual thing going on here. So the second option is this, that we're talking about demon-possessed people. And that's what I think John is referring to. John sees regular humans riding upon these weird creatures, which are very similar to the demonic creatures that was mentioned earlier. Note how they both can inf inflict pain with their tails. And then it says they have power in their mouth. Well, think about it. How does a demon control someone? If you read about it in the Bible, they're constantly talking to that person, telling them to do things they shouldn't do, and sometimes even exerting physical control over them. So I think what we're seeing here is uh, regular humans being possessed by demons or riding on upon these demons. 
And so the correlation of the creatures in the fifth trumpet and this these creatures having tails and inflict damage, I think support this. So what appears to be going on here is a worldwide problem of demon-possessed people running havoc and preying on their fellow human beings. They're doing it through rhetoric, through getting people to believe the wrong things, through their speech, but also they incite violence of mobs with burning, looting, and rioting, the smoke and the fire. And you say, well, what about the burning sulfur? Well, it could be explosives, or it could be using fireworks against the authorities, like those Roman candles and other rockets that were being used this past year on some of the riots we've seen. So I think we won't be surprised when this happens. Well, we won't be here. As Christians, I'll be up in heaven. You know, If you're a Christian, you'll be up there with me. Uh, but the unbelievers and anybody who became a Christian through the witnessing of the 144,000 Jewish people maybe, you know, became a new believer at this time. I don't think they're going to be surprised by this by saying, ooh, aren't these weird genetically monsters, genetically modified monsters coming after us? No. I think they're going to see crazed, demon-possessed people running havoc, rioting, and I think they'll be saying, yeah, we've seen this before. So I think that's what's going on, that 200 million of these uh, demon-possessed people are all over the world, and they end up killing one-third of the world's population with their violence. Now, understand how tragic this is. Not only are people dying uh, during this time. See, during the fifth trumpet, people weren't allowed to die. Notice that, right? These people that were uh, attacked by these demons, they weren't allowed to die. But now, uh, they are killing other people. And it's so tragic when you look at the different numbers. And the seals, remember, in the fourth seal, it says one of the signs to look for is 25% of the world's population dies. So that leaves 75% of the world's population left, right? Then this says this kills a third. So unfortunately, that means from these tragic events, between the many people dying of the fourth seal, and then the rapture comes, and then now all the judgments of God upon the earth, this sixth trumpet, with all the additional people that die because of the judgment of the sixth trumpet, that winds up being about 50% of the world's population that had passed away during this time. 50%. So this is a horrible tragedy, a horrible judgment. So when this horrible judgment occurs, what is the world's response? How do, how do people react when this happens? Well, let's look at it in Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to turn from their evil deeds. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or the, their immorality or their thefts. 
So how does the world react? Do they repent? Do they seek God's mercy and repent of their sins? No, they do not repent. And they do not repent of any of their sins. And listen to to the list of some of the gross sins they're involved in. Demon worship, idol worship, murder, witchcraft. Now, interesting enough, this word witchcraft actually in the Greek comes from a Greek word pharmakeia, pharmakeia. And it refers to drugs and using drugs, uh, hallucinogens especially, to open up your mind, they say, to the dark powers. This is what uh, in the Middle Ages would be called sorcery. So this is using drugs and hallucinogens to give you a spiritual connection to all these demons. And that is a type of witchcraft. If you look at the, you know, the form of witchcraft that uses potions and things like that to achieve their end. So, but it's really emphasizing the drug use here. Now, the next sin is immorality. And the Greek word is porneia. And this is where we get the word prostitution. uh, Or, you know, that's what it meant in, in the Greek day, prostitution. Uh, today we call it illicit sex, but it's also where we get the English word porno, pornography. It's the root of pornography. Porneia is where we get porno, pornography. So it's talking about all types of sexual immorality. It's talking about pornography. It's talking about prostitution. It's talking about illicit sex. And of course, we can see that in our culture, and it's not just talking about heterosexual sex. No, it could be homosexual sex, the transgender uh, sins that are going on. So all this, just like at Sodom and Gomorrah, just like throughout history, this is what's going on. Finally, it even talks about stealing. So these people, if you look at the context of it, these 200 million people are demon-possessed, and they are in the middle of a culture very typical to the pagan practices of idolatry, devil worship, and drug use, especially the hallucinogenic drugs, and this witchcraft, sorcery, whatever you want to call it, and of course, all types and all manner of sexual immorality. This is the same type culture that is almost exactly what it was in the days of ancient Israel when they were worshiping Baal, during the days of them involved in Baal worship. And just like the people uh, of that land that they were told never to become like, well, the people, the Canaanites, were also worshiping Baal. That's one of the reasons why God drove them out. Remember how we talked last time? The land was just going to vomit them up. Their, Their sin had even affected the land. Well, that was happening in Israel too, under Baal worship. And this, this being described in the book of Revelation by John is very similar to that. This pagan religion of devil worship, drugs, and sexual immorality, idolatry, all of it, all wrapped up into one. And they are running rampant on the earth and hunting down people to steal from them, to kill them. 
And I can easily see it just with what's going on today and people's morality. I can easily see even cannibalism being involved. Just like some of the uh, ancient pagan rituals of Baal worship stuff where they ate the flesh of their children, they passed through the fire. I can see that happening again with this. So I think this is exactly uh, what was going on with Baal worship happening again. I think it's just a demonic, uh, huge mob, 200 million people of demon-possessed people scattered throughout the world, preying on other people. And it is uh, going from city to city. They seem to be regulated like an army. Who knows? Maybe it will start in the Middle East or, you know, because it was there that the four angels were unbound. So maybe that's where it'll start. Who knows? Um, you know, it says, release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. We think over there near the Middle East. So who knows? It might be. But wherever it starts, however it works, it'll just be preying on mankind in this horrible Baal worship-like fashion. Now, what's interesting during this horrible judgment that is unfolding is what is mentioned in chapter 9, verse 6. Let's read that verse again. Chapter 9, verse 6. We read this. In those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee away. Now, this at first sounds horrifying. People trying to die, but can't. But I want you to look at it from God's point of view. This is actually grace. You see, everything about judgment is trying to get people to repent and turn to him. And that's why uh, John even says at the end of the chapter, these people didn't repent. So also the motivation here is to get them to repent. That's what God wants. Now, this is such a horrible thing that's going on, being demon-possessed and being attacked by demons and, and then being demon-possessed and doing all these awful things that we talked about. You can see how people would hate their existence and just want to die. But if God allowed them to die during that time, they would go straight to hell. So God, out of grace, will not let them die. Now, how does he do that? I don't know. Uh, you know, it says in Psalm 139 that he determines when we're born and when we die. So he is in control. So they may want to die on the inside, but evidently God's removing the means for them to be able to do it. And they will not die. Now that's part of grace. And the reason it's part of grace, like I say, is to give them time to repent so they can avoid an eternity in hell. Because you see what's going on in the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet. And that's, that's hell on earth, isn't it? That's a foreshadowing of the real hell and eternity in the lake of fire where they are constantly being uh, under the torture of fire and corruption and, and just constantly in that horrible darkness in the lake of fire. But they can't die because it lasts for eternity. Their souls are already there. They're already without their body. So death does not affect the spiritual existence, as we know. And so they're there forever. So by allowing them to get a taste of it, a very small 
taste of what hell might be like. It's another way of God's grace hoping that people will repent. You see, unbelievers think that death will bring peace, but it doesn't. It brings torment in hell. Unbelievers will think, well, I'll just go to hell and be there with all my friends and we'll have a party. I heard one unbeliever say very pridefully and uh, with much hubris, I'm going to go to hell and I'm going to kick Satan off his throne and then I'll run things down there. That's not how it works, people. That's not how it works. Everyone. And we'll see later on in the book of Revelation, even the devil and his angels are all cast into hell. There's no ruler of hell. There's nothing but eternal darkness and lake of fire and torment. And so death does not bring peace. And God is giving them as much time as possible by not allowing them to commit suicide, not allowing them to die. So then hopes they'll repent and avoid that eternity in hell. No, death for an unbeliever does not bring peace. Only the reality of eternal punishment in hell. But in contrast, death does bring peace to a believer. In fact, it brings great peace to a believer. And it's with this thought that I want to close us with. Because I don't want you to go away very discouraged about these trumpet judgments. It is important for us to see what's going to happen to the unbelievers so that we will be inclined to witness to them and share our faith with them and lead them to Christ. But sometimes, especially nowadays with all the bad things that's going on, Christians are struggling with depression and loneliness. And I don't want to leave you on a bad note. So let's talk about the contrast that Christians have with death. You see, death to us brings great peace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, Paul writes this. When this happens, when our perishable earthly bodies have been transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die, then at last the scriptures will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You know, those demons, they sting the unbelievers and eventually possess them and destroy their lives. But for Christians, we who believe in Jesus, whether we, those who believe now and if we live to see it are raptured in the uh, sixth seal, or those in the context of this study who got saved from the witnessing of the 144,000 Jewish people, whenever you become a Christian, you can look forward to eternity because death is nothing. It's just a moment where you change from a human body into your glorified body and spend eternity with God. Christ up in heaven. That's why it says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And that's a beautiful fact for the Christian. It's not just a belief, 
It is truth. And that is why I don't fear death. I mean, sure, people fantasize or wonder what kind of method they die in, and some things are scarier than others. But in reality, most believers look forward to going home with their master, the Heavenly Father, the Messiah, Jesus. I know I do. And that's why I've always said I want to be buried in a casket like this. Because to me, death has no sting. And for believers, death has no sting. And no matter what we may face, Jesus is there to lead us through it. So we can thank God. And we need to pray for our loved ones and our friends who aren't saved so that they will get saved before these horrible judgments come out because their hearts are so hard, like we saw at the end of the chapter in Revelation 9, that they don't repent, even when faced with those horrors. So let's thank God that we have a better future than that and that death has no sting. And in the meantime, Tell your friends about Jesus and get them to believe. Do everything you can to get them to put their trust in Christ so they can avoid this. And until next time, keep your eyes to the sky and read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.